Wednesday Bible study on the book of Exodus. Now, last week, we kind of finished up the 10 plagues, at least sort of. I mean, that's kind of how I'm at least labeling the, the videos. Technically, in Exodus chapter 12, that's where we see the final plague. So, and that's what we're going to be in uh, in this video is Exodus chapter 12. But, you know, more importantly than this being the 10th plague is this is the celebration of the Passover festival. I mean, whenever you start to think about uh, what the book of Exodus uh, is known for, I mean, it's known for a few things. I mean, the whole name of the book is Exodus. It has to do with exiting out of the land of Egypt and going toward the promised land. So one of those things, of course, is the, the crossing of the Red Sea. We're going to get to that in a couple more chapters. But definitely one big chapter in this is chapter 12, where we see the Passover uh, celebration. And one of the things about the Passover is, I guess this is kind of one of the biggest things from the book of Exodus that carries over and still has like direct connection and direct meaning to the things that we celebrate as Christians. Because we're going to be reading about the Passover, the festival, the Passover meal that they would participate in. And at this time, uh, when you fast forward uh, a few hundred years, actually a little bit more than a thousand years, you come to Jesus Christ in the New Testament. And whenever Jesus Christ comes into the New Testament, we find that just before he was crucified, that he shared a Passover meal with his disciples. We call that the Last Supper. I mean, that was the Last Supper that he had. But, but uh, you know, now we, we partake of a similar meal to that one. We call it the Lord's Supper. So there's there's several key things. Of course, there's going to be some differences, but there's several key things about this Passover uh, chapter that deal with Jesus Christ, you know, the night that he was crucified, and that meal that we still participate in on a weekly basis uh, that we call communion today, or the Lord's Supper. And that is kind of the modern day version of what the Passover uh, was to, to Israel. And some of the same reasons as to why we see the significance of the Passover meal in the Old Testament is carried over in some ways into the New Testament. So we might kind of touch on those a little bit uh, as we go throughout this chapter. So let's dive in here together in Exodus chapter 12. Verses 1 through 11. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month is to be your beginning of months. It will be your first month of the year. Tell the whole community of Israel, in the tenth day of this month, they each must take a lamb for themselves according to their families, a lamb for each household. If any household is too small for a lamb, the man and his next door neighbor are to take a lamb according to the number of people. You will make your count for the lamb according to how much each one can eat. Your lamb must be perfect, a male, one year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. You must care for it until the 14th day of this month. Then the whole community of Israel will kill it around sundown. They will take some of the blood and put it on the two side posts and on top of the doorframe of the houses where they will eat it. They will eat the meat the same night. They will eat it roasted over the fire with bread made without yeast and with bitter herbs. Do not eat it raw or boiled in water, but roast it over the fire with its head, its legs, and its entrails. You must leave nothing until morning, but you must burn with fire whatever remains of it until morning. This is how you are to eat it. Dress to travel. Your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand, you are to eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. Okay, so now I know that's kind of a, a small font on this, this uh, slide here, but uh, there's a lot in these uh, 11 verses as you start this 
this chapter. Uh, so the previous chapter, Moses was being told by God that this final plague is going to be death of the firstborn. And the reason for the death of the firstborn is Pharaoh uh, mocked the firstborn of God, so to speak, with the children of, of Israel. So now what God kind of does in a sense of a, of a final punishment was that he was going to bring death to Egypt because of their harshness and just how they were just being unjust to the people of Israel. Uh, and what he did was he brought death to the firstborn. But now Moses was told these, these things that on this night they were going to have this, this special meal together, this Passover meal. And there's so much about this meal because, you know, we see that the, about the lamb being uh, being the, the sacrifice here. And actually, I guess I, I'm kind of getting a little bit ahead of myself. So let's back up and let's let's see some of these significant features. One of them comes in verse two. In verse two, we see that that God says this month is to be your beginning of months. You know, it's supposed to be this this first of the month. So something new is happening. Something big is happening. So much so that it's going to affect kind of their calendar, so to speak. Um, and, you know, that kind of makes sense. Because as we turn the pages, kind of making some parallels, I guess I'll make some parallels now to the New Testament here. Like when John starts his gospel, he starts it the same way the book of Genesis does. Genesis starts the whole story of the Bible in the beginning. Well, John, whenever he starts his gospel, this new beginning through Jesus Christ, he starts it off with the same words, in the beginning. So there is this new beginning, and that new beginning is actually starting right here in Exodus 12. Because that's why this is supposed to be like the first month uh, out of their year. Okay, so that's one thing that we see. There's a new beginning, and that's a parallel to the Christian community that we're going to read about in the, in the New Testament, of course. Uh, years later after this, this uh, occasion here. Then in verse 5, we find out about this lamb that is going to be um, sacrificed. This lamb that is going to be uh, really kind of a main part of the meal. Um, this lamb, is, it was to be perfect. And by the way... Um, another parallel to John's gospel here in the New Testament. When John the Baptist sees Jesus, he says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So he, he compares Jesus Christ to God's Lamb. And really, Jesus is also compared to the Passover Lamb. Uh, we're not going to get into a whole lot of those things. I'm just going to kind of make some of these parallels here. There's, there's several passages that we could look at we're not going to really uh, look at that too much because Exodus 12 is it's kind of, it's a long enough chapter just by itself. So let's kind of focus on this, but I'll make some of these parallels as we go. But this lamb was to be a perfect lamb. No problem, no, uh, no, no, nothing to be wrong with it at all. And that's exactly the type of sacrifice that Jesus was. We also find out in verse six that the whole community is to be involved in this. And this is important, you know, to recognize that the whole community was was to be involved in this uh, in this meal and in this whole kind of ceremony, the the whole ritual that goes along with this. And the uh, the blood was to go around the door frame, and whenever they were, uh, so to speak, whenever the door of their house was was covered in blood, whenever it was surrounded by blood, um, the uh, uh, death was going to pass over their house. In a similar type fashion, whenever we are Christians and whenever we have the blood of Jesus covering us, then death is not going to have its hold on us. It's going to pass over us, so to speak. Not physical death here for us. Spiritual death is what I'm talking about. Uh, we also see another thing that uh, I, I find interesting in verse 11, that they are to dress like they're ready to travel. 
Now, okay, the reason for this, we're going to notice this as we keep reading in this chapter. The reason for this is they're going to travel, okay? Makes perfect sense. But there is a parallel for us as Christians, and that is that we need to be really on a, on a daily basis. We need to be ready for travel, so to speak. We need to be ready to follow wherever God is leading us. And just like they needed to be ready to, to travel and to go wherever God was going to be leading them. And I, I can't help but think about there's there's some parables, uh, parallels, sorry, whenever we partake of the Lord's Supper today, that we need to be ready to travel, so to speak, ready to, to get out of the, the land of slavery and into the promised land. Um, OK, so there's uh, much more to this chapter. So let's continue uh, moving right along. Verses 12 through 15 now. I will pass through the land of Egypt in the same night, and I will attack all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both of humans and of animals. And on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are, so that when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And this plague will not fall on you to destroy you when I attack the land of Egypt. This day will become a memorial for you, and you will celebrate it as a festival to the Lord. You will celebrate it perpetually as a lasting ordinance. For seven days you must eat bread made without yeast. Surely on the first day you must put away yeast from your houses because anyone who eats bread made with yeast from the first day to the seventh day will be cut off from Israel. So in this passage, we get a little bit more about this Passover uh, festival, this Passover feast, this Passover memorial. It's called a few different things. Um, but here, uh, along the same lines, um, keep in mind, this is still the 10th the plague that's coming through. And whenever he talks about this plague, he does mention something very interesting to me in verse 12. He, he talks about that this judgment and that uh, this that's going to be coming on is not just on the people. It's not just on the humans, not just on the animals, but it says, and on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. It's very interesting that he, he talks about that. In fact, um, I don't really remember if I got too much into this, but each of the 10 plagues, uh, I, I have seen different charts and, and stuff like that, that that will kind of relate each one of the 10 plagues and shows how that specifically attacks one of the gods that they worshiped in the land of Egypt. Now, these aren't, you know, uh, these gods, they're not the the Lord God, you know, the God of the Bible that we read about. Um, they're, they're the different gods that they worshiped. Uh, we see one of those, if you remember, um, actually later on, just, just uh, after they exit out of the land of Egypt, they start worshiping the golden calf. Remember, well, that golden calf, that was one of the gods of Egypt that the people worshiped. Um, so it's, it's not by accident that they just kind of formed some calf and, and they did that. There was a reason behind all those things. And the gods of the, the gods of Egypt, they had so many different gods in which they worshiped, the gods for all different types of things. And here what, what, what our God is saying is that he's going to pronounce judgment upon these gods of Egypt. Um, and, you know, whenever you look at that, I, I think it's very interesting that you see those parallels between the, the 10 uh, plagues there. And those 10 plagues, um, I don't know. I, maybe this is just me that I haven't done enough study uh, myself to, to see if there's kind of a one to one ratio about how each one of the plagues matches up with with a particular God of Egypt. I, I don't know if it's exactly that precise, but what God is doing with those plagues is he's showing them that the gods of Egypt are not the ones who are in control. There is only one God who is ultimately in control, 
and that is the Lord our God. And he reveals himself to Moses in this book, and he is the one who is guiding his people out of the land of Egypt right here. Uh, so, you know, all these things, and that's kind of, it is interesting that he's, he mentions the reason for why he's doing this again. So we really have looked at several reasons why the 10 plagues have come, but they did come as this judgment. But here in connection with this judgment, what we also see is that there's this memorial, this memorial festival, this memorial feast that they are to celebrate called the Passover uh, of the Lord. And this Passover is something that they're going to remember in years to come. And it's very particular about how they do it and everything. And it's also connected with um, the, uh, the unleavened bread. That was what they would eat uh, at this time. That's also why whenever we take a communion, you know, we, it's something that looks kind of like a cracker type thing. It's unleavened bread is, is what that is. Or, or maybe now, you know, we're kind of used to these, these uh, uh, prepackaged cups that have a little, bit of, uh, a little bit of a flap that has that small wafer uh, of bread. And that's an unleavened bread is what that is. It's really flat. And one of the reasons why they did it here for the Passover, and we will see this as, as we keep reading, but one of the reasons for that unleavened bread during the Passover is because they needed to have this meal quickly and, and ready to go. And if you uh, wait for the bread to rise, you know, that takes time and it, it, uh, it takes a bit more to do those things. Unleavened bread is a much quicker type of a meal to, to get ready and to, to be able to eat it. Now let's look at verses 16 through 20. On the first day, there will be a holy convocation. And on the seventh day, there will be a holy convocation for you. You must do no work of any kind on them. Only what every person will eat, that alone may be prepared for you. So you will keep the feast of unleavened bread, because on this very day I brought your regiments out of the land of Egypt. And so you must keep this day perpetually as a lasting ordinance. In the first month, from the fourteenth day of the month, in the evening, you will eat bread made without yeast until the twenty-first day of the month in the evening. For seven days yeast must not, must not be found in your houses. For whoever eats what is made with yeast, that person will be cut off from the community of Israel, whether a resident foreigner or one born in the land. You will not eat anything made with yeast. In all the places where you live, you must eat bread made without yeast. Okay, so if you want some more details, there you are. There's a few more details about this. It's just kind of continuing that on and, and mentioning that this uh, Feast of Unleavened Bread, it's going to be more than just kind of a one-day celebration. You know, sometimes we, we sort of uh, combine this Feast of Unleavened Bread with the Passover. And yes, there is this connection. There's a really close connection here. Um, but all of it was to be a memorial. They were supposed to be reminded of what God did during this time. And I think it's important that whenever we uh, take of communion together, that we recognize that it has the history of coming from the Passover. Obviously, the, the meaning of it is a little different. This meaning was to remind them, you know, the Passover meaning is to remind them of what the Lord did on this night that we're reading about here in Exodus 12. And of course, whenever we partake of the Lord's Supper, the meaning goes back to what our Lord Jesus did. Now, he was our Passover lamb and that, um, that sacrifice and and all is still important to us, uh, still important for us to remember that and to have a lasting memorial uh, for today as well. Verses 21 through 28 now. Then Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and told them, go and select for yourselves a lamb 
or young goat for your families and kill the Passover animals. Take a branch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and apply it to the top of the doorframe and the two side posts some of the blood that is in the basin. Not one of you is to go out of the door of his house until morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike Egypt. And when he sees the blood on the top of the door frame and the two side posts, then the Lord will pass over the door and he will not permit the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. You must observe this event as an ordinance for you and for your children forever. When you enter the land that the Lord will give to you, just as he said, you must observe the ceremony. When your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? Then you must say, it is a sacrifice of the Lord's Passover when he passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt. When he struck Egypt and delivered our households, the people bowed down low to the ground and the Israelites went away and did exactly as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. Okay, more information. Uh, basically, it just kind of once again tells us this is something that they were supposed to do and it's, it's supposed to be this ordinance that they do. It's not just for them. It's something that they observe uh, every single year, but it's also for their children forever. Verse 24 says that. Then we get this interesting um, kind of kind of ritual, I guess, if you want to call it ceremony, if you if you will, in verses 26 and 27 that was connected to the Passover, um, you know, feast. And that is when your children ask you, "What does this ceremony mean to you?" By the way, we need to be thinking about this. Those of you who are listening, who uh, you know have children, uh, without a doubt, at some point, you know, your kids are going to ask you, "What does this mean?" Uh, maybe that w might be whenever, you know, we, we do take of communion today. Uh, your kids might ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? I must admit that whenever I had kids, I didn't realize that those questions were going to come as early as they did. But my son, I mean, he was, he was most certainly asking questions about the Lord's Supper and what that all was about. You know, I mean, he was asking questions, I mean, probably whenever he was three, maybe even two years old. It's, it's much younger than I was expecting for, for children to start wondering, why do we do this? You know, what is going on? So this right here, this was part of what they did at the Passover night, is that the children would ask, you know, what does this mean? What's the meaning of all this that, that we do? Well, in verse 27, for the Passover, then you will say, it is a sacrifice of the Lord's Passover when he passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt, when he struck Egypt and delivered our households. Can't we give kind of a similar response whenever our children ask us, what does the ceremony of the Lord's Supper mean to us? Well, you know, it still does remind us of the Lord's Passover. And it does remind us of how uh, the Lord did lead the Israelites out of the land of Egypt. You know, out of that, that land of slavery and into uh, the promised land. But for us, what it also represents is that Jesus is our Passover lamb. And it also uh, represents that sacrifice that he gave for us. Of course, it represents the body and the blood of Jesus, but also even more than that, that represents how Jesus allowed us to go from the land of slavery, so to speak, and into freedom. And that all happens in Jesus Christ and in his sacrifice. So yes, children will ask questions. We need to be ready to give uh, the answer to these questions because they will come. And we need to be prepared. We need to know what these, what, what the reasons are for why we do these things that we do whenever we gather together. Now, verses 29 through 32. 
now we're actually going to see, you know, all this was, was what they needed to do. Now we're going to see it actually happening. Verse 29 through 32. It happened at midnight. The Lord attacked all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh, who sat on his throne, to the firstborn of the captive, who was in the prison, and all the firstborn of the cattle. Pharaoh got up in the night, along with all his servants and all Egypt, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was no house in which there was not someone dead. Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron in the night and said, Get up, get out from among my people, both you and the Israelites. Go, serve the Lord as you have requested. Also take your flocks and your herds, just as you have requested, and leave. But bless me also. This was it. Pharaoh has had enough. This has just really crushed Egypt. You know, you look at this and this was this was just kind of this final crushing blow. He was ready to just get him out of there. He was done with it. Of course he was upset because his own family had been touched by this. In fact, there was no house, what it says in verse 30, there was no house in, in Egypt in which someone didn't die because they weren't part of this Passover uh, festival. You know, they, the destroyer, so to speak, um, as was mentioned in the last slide there, the destroyer visited each one of those houses. And it was such a big deal that Pharaoh got up in the middle of the night and other people got up in the middle of the night. And Pharaoh also summoned Moses and Aaron in the night. And he had this conversation and just told him to get out. And he also said that final statement, but bless me also. You know, it's kind of interesting that, that, uh, you know, if you notice that, that, that Pharaoh has requested prayers or different things like that. But, you know, he's never really been truly repentant. And I'm not so sure that you see him even repentant right here. He's still just asking. He, he, he sort of just seems to be asking for just a little bit of mercy, that they would just leave and nothing else bad happen. And that he just hopes it. And this time, we also see in verse 32, that now he's done making deals you know before he was like okay you can go but you got to leave this you know these people back or this group of people back behind so that that way you'll come back and then well you can go but you got to leave your animals behind then finally now he just says go everybody everything go he's done with it but there's still more verses 33 through 36 the egyptians were urging the people on in order to send them out of the land quickly for they were saying we are all dead so the people took their Dough before the yeast was added, with their kneading troughs bound up in their clothing and on their shoulders. Now the Israelites had done as Moses told them. They had requested from the Egyptians silver and gold items and clothing. The Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, and they gave them whatever they wanted, and so they plundered Egypt. See, even the people are recognizing how hard it is. This is not the first time that the people of Egypt have stepped in and have, and have recognized, look, this is really affecting us. Something's got to be done. And then they just send them away. And apparently the children of Israel, they did find favor because of what the Lord did. Uh, and they plundered Egypt in this way. It's kind of an interesting story that we oftentimes sort of uh, overlook, I guess. And maybe we don't really think about the significance of this. But but this is how they left Egypt in a, in a very interesting uh, way. And let's keep reading now because this is actually part of their their journey. So now we're starting to get into when they actually start to leave the land of Egypt. It happens right here in Exodus uh, chapter 12 around these verses here that we're looking at. Verses 37 through 42 now. The Israelites journeyed from Ramesses to Suf 
to Sukkot. There were about 600,000 men on foot, plus their dependents. A mixed multitude also went up with them, and flocks and herds, a very large number of cattle. They baked cakes of bread without yeast, using the dough they had brought from Egypt. For it was made without yeast, because they were thrust out of Egypt and were not able to delay. They could not prepare food for themselves either. Now the length of the time the Israelites lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of the 430 years, on the very day, all the regiments of the Lord went out of the land of Egypt. It was, it was a night of vigil for the Lord to bring them out of the land of Egypt. And so on this night, all Israel is to keep a vigil to the Lord for generations to come. So we find out a little bit more about this yeast. We find out that they're starting to eat this bread, and this is how they are kind of partaking of this this uh, uh, this bread is kind of you know along their journey as they are starting to travel out because everything had to be done quickly, and we see that they had this uh, this evening celebration, this evening uh, vigil, as it's translated here, to remember uh, what the Lord did, and it was supposed to be uh, for generations to come, uh, and of course you know even today there's there's still this remembrance. Uh, around the Passover time, uh, at least you know among uh, people who are who, uh, hold this very very dear, uh, they are still con you know continuing this on and, and to remember uh, of what God did at this time during this Passover time. Verses forty three through the end of the chapter now, so forty three to fifty one. I told you it was a long chapter. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, "This is the ordinance of the Passover." No foreigner may share in eating it, but everyone's servants who is, who is bought for money after you have circumcised him may eat it. A foreigner and a hired worker must not eat it. It must be eaten in one house. You must not bring any of the meat outside of the house, and you must not break a bone of it. The whole community of Israel must observe it. When a resident foreigner lives with you and wants to observe the Passover to the Lord, all his males must be circumcised, and then... He may approach and observe it, and he will be like one who is born in the land, but no uncircumcised person may eat of it. The same law will apply to the person who is native born and to the resident foreigner who lives among you. So all the Israelites did exactly as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron, and on this very day, the Lord brought the Israelites out of the land of Egypt by their regiments. Okay, so here at the end of this chapter, we find out a few things about it. Once again, verse 47, this whole community is observing this thing. Uh, we also find out something in verses 48, and I guess it's all just verse 48. That's a really long verse. Um, yeah, there in verse 48, it talks about how all of the, the males have to be circumcised, and, and in fact, it ends with, uh, but no uncircumcised person may eat of it. You remember I kind of mentioned this uh, earlier on, back in Exodus chapter 4. When we have that weird story that apparently Moses is, is going back to the land of Egypt. And as he's going there, apparently he had not circumcised his son for whatever reason. I don't know why, but he was there. He hadn't circumcised his son. And then Zipporah, his wife, circumcises his son. And they, they kind of make this big deal about it that, that you know he needed to be circumcised. And the Lord was about to strike Moses right there, all the way in, in Exodus 4. Well, if his son had not been circumcised then, then his son would not have gotten to participate now, during this time, for the Passover. So, I mean, it would be very, very important, of course, if your leader is going to abide by the law and is going to make sure that his own family, you know, all the males of his ha household, are circumcised. 
Um, once again, it's a weird story in Exodus 4, but we see the importance was that it was a sign of the covenant. That's what the descendants of Abraham were supposed to do to remember um, about what God did in that covenant that he made with Abraham. And now we see that, that there's still supposed to be more about this remembrance here. And that comes through this Passover uh, celebration. And yeah, it was very particular about who could celebrate it and you know what you had to do. And then we find out in verse 50, so all the Israelites did exactly as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. You know, I wish that we could like look right here and to say, isn't this a wonderful story? That they were so faithful to God, they're delivered from the land of Egypt and, and everything is going great for them. It does kind of look that way. But as we will continue, we will see that, yeah, they, they did exactly what the Lord commanded right here. But they are still human. And a few chapters later, they're still doing their own thing. They're not doing what the Lord commanded. Just a few chapters after this. But right now, we definitely see this wonderful image. And, you know, if you could kind of uh, sort of, you know, end the story right here, you could almost end it with a happily ever after type ending. But we do find this is a highlight of the book. I mean, this is a really big deal because this is that the Lord is bringing them out of the land of Egypt. Now, they're not fully out of the land of Egypt yet. That's going to happen later. But, and they're also not done with that. Remember, the Red Sea crossing hasn't happened. But they're starting on their journey. And they're going in the right direction at this point. And this is where we're going to have to end. And we'll pick back up next week with uh, the rest of this story, or at least uh, continue this story of the book of Exodus.